doing, Woodland Hills? Woo! Hello, Podrishners. Wherever the cameras are, hello, Podrishners. Uh, I don't know if the Podrishners can see it or not, but we got a new pad around here. It's, it's funky. It's, it's great. Love it. Uh, it's going to take a little getting used to, like everything new. Got to remember, got to turn and talk to the folks on the side. You don't want to be looking at my butt the whole service. Someone just, someone just said, well, that's your better half. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, in Isaiah 43, uh, the Lord says to his people, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Don't you behold it? I'm doing a new thing. It happens sometimes in the unfolding of God's plans that for a certain people group, he will do something entirely new. And the job of God's people in these uh, sometimes scary, sometimes exciting moments is to notice that God's doing a new thing and uh, then to partner with him in doing it. What was it in the past, what was old is good, it was good, but what's needed to move into a future is something different. So God is a new thing. He pours out new wine and has new wineskins. And we sense here around Woodland Hills that we're entering in, into a new season. Uh, God's going to do a new thing. In fact, he's been doing a new thing. Uh, the physical changes in our pad and in the gathering area and other parts of the building, that's symptomatic of this. It's an expression of this, but it goes much deeper than this. And we really don't know where this is going to take us, but we've never really known where we're going. I mean, it's been a weird church from the start, really. <laughs> we're supposed to be a suburban church. It didn't turn out that way. Uh, you know, and so we, we just follow God step by step. He gives us a flashlight, not like a helicopter mile-long strobe light. It's just a, one step at a time. And, and so we're just following him, but it's a new season. And I don't know about you, but I find it to be very refreshing and very exciting, very invigorating. I think there's great things uh, in our future. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it feels so right. It feels so right. And so we're launching this new season with this series that we're calling Through Line. Uh, Through Line refers to a theme or uh, an idea that runs throughout a book or a film or a play. It's a reoccurring theme. And so what we're going to be doing in these next six weeks is uh, really looking at the, the central themes that run throughout our history, that kind of weave together all of the major moments. We've had some defining moments, so we're going to be talking about some of those, and, and no, noticing the thread that, that gets woven throughout there, throughout them. And we're looking into the past, but only as a way then of looking into the future. Where is God leading us in the season to come? And so we're kind of reaffirming our identity, even as we're saying that this identity is going to have new expressions here in, in the future. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be laying the really what is, I think, the most foundational through line in our identity. Um, and it has to do with the character of God and our call to uh, be transformed into the likeness of that character. It has to do with God's love. We're entitling this when God fills his temple because we are called to be the temple of God. And he wants to fill us. In fact, this is a central purpose for God, for God in history so far as it's been revealed to us. He, his goal is to invite people in on his perfect love and then make them his temple by filling them with his perfect love and with the power of the Holy Spirit so that they overflow with that same love towards others. And now the love of God is being replicated. That's, this is the point of the whole thing. This is the point of the whole thing. And so when God fills his temple, I want to start by showing you a couple of kids 36 years ago. Uh, this is my adorable wife of 36 years. And she, uh, did I get luck? I won the lottery. I mean, folks, uh, yeah, this is my adorable wife 36 years ago. Uh, it's funny, she's aged, but I haven't. But uh, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing. I don't know how that works. But, uh, you know, okay, my sister brought her to, to the, the church 
Uh, and the first time she came, she came up to the altar, and I was playing the marimba on the stage. And I saw her come up there and, and give her life to the Lord, and I thought, I got some discipleship to be doing here. <laughs> so she was my first discipling mentory. Here we are, uh, very much in love on our wedding day. Yeah, it's, yeah that's, that's something, 36 years ago. All right, well, see, here's the thing. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. <laughs> Now, I mean, I was 22. She was just a kid. She was 21. And so we, we, neither of us had a real clear idea of, of what we were doing. Um, you know, I, on that wedding day, I was behind the stage waiting for her to start down with the wedding march. And we were playing a prelude. The piano player was playing Homecoming. Nice song. Uh, but, see, there's a miscommunication on what the cue was supposed to be when to stop the song and to start the wedding march. So this song went on endlessly, or so it seemed. I mean, I think we set the world record for the longest rendition of Homecoming ever in history. It was at least 20 minutes or something. It was torture. I'm behind the stage, and, and now there's way too much time to think. And I tend to overanalyze anything, everything anyway. So I'm, I, as I'm sitting back there with my wedding party, um, you begin to think, first of all, I'm thinking, is she getting cold feet? Why is this taking so long? Something's gone wrong here. This song is driving me crazy. Shut it up. And then I'm thinking, what, what, the gravity all of a sudden kind of hits you. It's, it's like, I'm giving my life away to another person. Yeah, she's drop-dead gorgeous, but, but uh, how do I know that we're going to you know, still like each other a year from now? What if, what, if, what if we start irritating each other like a brother and sister? You know, there's no out. You begin to feel a little bit claustrophobic. Anyone ever felt claustrophobic on the wedding day? Well, now you're not going to admit it, I know, but, but yeah. So it, it, now, thankfully, those, those, those thoughts completely went out the window the minute I saw her finally start to march down uh, the aisle, and I was just enraptured with her beauty and full of warm, hormone-induced love feelings, and everything else went, went, went away. But the truth is, we really didn't know what we were doing. We loved each other, and, and we knew love to a degree, but, but, but we didn't know all that was involved in saying, I do. Um, we had no idea of the challenges that we'd face, you know, the, the challenge of, of trying to understand a person who's so different from you, to get on the inside of their world when their world is so different. We, didn't, we had no idea of that, that challenge when we said I do at the age of 22, or the challenge of, of, of raising three kids while in grad school and holding down three part-time jobs and getting three hours of sleep a night and the stress that puts on a marriage. We didn't see that coming. But see, there's also a ton of things that we didn't see that were so positive, like the joy of finally finding a bridge into each other's worlds. Uh, the depth of love you experience, uh, when, precisely because you worked at it so hard. Uh, the, the joy of, of, of finding a way for your worlds to overlap. And the joy of raising three kids and now helping to raise five grandkids uh, with all the ups and downs that that involves. And, and the joy and the depth of love, on, on just growing old together and, and growing old with friends and, and being able to laugh at, 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 at each other's bodies as they're starting to come undone. You know, you got to laugh at it, otherwise it's going to drive you crazy. <laughs> oh, look at that guy. Woo, when'd you grow that? Uh, <laughs> me versus gravity. Gravity's winning. So it's, uh, but see, love's the kind of thing you got to grow into. It means one thing here and you grow into it over time. I feel like... In some ways, when I think about the beginnings of Woodland Hills Church, uh, it feels a little bit like this. I mean, right from the start, we proclaimed a God of love, a God who looks like Jesus, and the call to live in that love. I think that's one of the reasons why we experienced this explosive growth early on. 
Uh, people were hungry for this. And we believe that it's so crucial to passionately worship and passionately proclaim this God who is love. But even as I say that, when I think back in the early days, it feels kind of like when I said I do when I was 22. Um, I, I don't think, I, I at least early on, didn't know the full depth of this or how, how all important this is and how distinctive it is, how this isn't something that's, that's commonly talked about or preached and how radical it is and how costly it is. I didn't know that all back then, but we've been growing into this and we're going to grow into it more in the future. Uh, love's the kind of thing that we've got to grow into. A turning point for us was the Love Series. How many of you remember the Love Series back in 2001? And that, it goes back. Can you believe it was, we're talking 14 years ago. That can't possibly be true. But the Love Series. Uh, it, it, I, when it was initially proposed that I preach on this, I thought, well, that's love, 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 love. You know, everyone's already heard that. Uh, maybe it'll be a two or three week reminder course. Well, those three weeks turned into three months, which turned into, <laughs> yep. And, and uh, never was there so much redundancy in my preaching ever, but it, I, we just went over and over it because it, I couldn't talk about anything else. It's like nothing else mattered. And, and, and as we'll see in a moment, it's true that in a sense, nothing else matters. This just gripped me and, and we began to see things that we had not seen before. We were growing in our understanding of God's love and in the call to live out that love and just seeing how radical it is. Uh, it was in that series that we, for the first time, put together these two verses. First John 4, 8, which everybody knows, God is love. Everyone says that. Everyone would say amen to that. I said they would say it. I didn't say you had to say it, but <laughs> fine. You should say amen to that. But see, here's the, here's the, the really interesting point. Because love can mean, I mean, people can say God is love and then have monstrous pictures of God and do monstrous things in the name of the God of love. But the Bible gives us a very specific definition of the kind of love that God is by pointing us to a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And so John says, the same John who says God is love says this. Here's how we know what love is. Here's how we know what love is. Don't go guessing about it or, or intuiting it. No, we know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So too we should lay down our lives for one another. That is love. Love looks like Calvary. Love looks like the cross. Love, the kind of love that God is, this is what John is saying. The kind of love that God is, in his eternal nature, to the core of his being, every square inch, is the kind of love that's revealed on Calvary. It's self-sacrificial love. It's, it's other-oriented love. The kind of love that God is, is the kind of love that led Jesus to set aside all of his benefits as, 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 as the Son of God and to take on our humanity and then to take on our sin on the cross and to, to bear our punishment. Uh, and, and while we were yet enemies, that's the kind of love that God is. It's not just the kind of love that God does, it's the kind of love that God is. It's the kind of love that uh, led Jesus to completely ruin his reputation by hang, hanging out with and loving prostitutes and tax collectors and other most sinned judge groups. Kind of love that led Jesus to wrap a towel around his waist and get on his knees and wash the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples, knowing full well that they're going to betray him before sunrise. Um, it's the kind of love that leads the good shepherd to go out and look for that one lost sheep, and he will not rest until he finds him, and then he throws a humongous party when he does. That's the kind of love that God is. It could not be more beautiful. It could not be more majestic. It could not be more radiant. It could not be more unfathomable. It could not be more breathtaking. It could, it could not be more radical. It is, it's, it's inconceivably great. If you think you understand the love of God, then you don't understand the love of God. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 that he prays that you will know the love of God, the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God 
that surpasses all understanding. You know, you know it when you see that it surpasses all understanding. It's radical, beautiful love. And the thing is, is that we are called to be, uh, to surrender our lives to that God of love so that we then become individually and corporately the temple of God. So he fills us with that love through the power of his spirit and we overflow with that love towards others. This is the center of the center. This is the bullseye of all bullseyes. This is this is what the church is called to do. This is what we are all individually called to do. And so to flesh that out a little bit, I want to look at a few of the verses that we looked at in that nine-month love series. All right? And these have become kind of defining, defining moments for us, defining text for us. First one is Ephesians 5. Love this passage. Quote it quite a bit. Paul says, be imitators of God. The word there is, in Greek is mimetai. We get the word mimic from it. So he's saying, mimic God. Do exactly what you see God doing. And you think, well, God is spirit. We can't see God. Ah, but you can. That's why he became a human. And so he says, imitate God. Here's what it looks like. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. We imitate God when we imitate Jesus. Because Jesus is God becoming a human being. To put on display what it looks like for Perfect love to be perfectly embodied. So Jesus is the full revelation of God's character, but he's also the complete revelation and the example that we are to follow. Uh, this is what our lives are individually and corporately supposed to look like. And Paul says, live in love. Live in it. Which means, as long as we're alive, we're to be characterized by this kind of love, self-sacrificial love, cross-like love. It means that for the follower of Jesus, there is no off button on love. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. No, we're, we have to live in this. He loved us while we were yet enemies, and so we're, we're not allowed to turn off that love when we come upon an enemy. Uh, we're to live in this, which means if you're ever wondering if it's the right time to love, ask yourself this one very important question. Are you alive? Are you alive? Now, if you answer no, you're something, you got bigger issues than I can address right now. Uh, but see, if you're breathing, and if you have any thought ways, thought brainwaves whatsoever, and if you have any heartbeat whatsoever, it is the right time to love. And it doesn't matter if the person in front of you is a friend who's with open arms ready to embrace you, or if they're a threatening enemy with their hand cocked back ready to hit you. That doesn't matter because you're still alive, and therefore it's the right time to, to love. We're called to live in this love as Christ loved us and gave His life for us. And doing that, we imitate we imitate uh, G- Jesus Christ. Paul is saying basically the same thing in First Corinthians 16. I remember so clear when I first noticed this verse. I had never noticed it before. But in this series, it also, it's so simple, and it, it, it blew me away. Do everything in love. And love looks like the cross. Do everything in a way that expresses cross-like love. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, I'm sure, but um, uh, I think everything means pretty much everything. Would you agree with that? Which means, think about this, everything, which means that followers of Jesus, we are not allowed to do anything to anyone or to say anything to anyone or about anyone or to even think, because that's a a thing, to even think anything about anyone that is contrary to the love that's revealed in the cross. We are not allowed to do or say or think anything that doesn't express cross-like love to, 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 to anyone. That kind of encompasses everything, doesn't it? This is the radical call. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what their merit is, whether they deserve it or not, whether they're friend or foe, whether they're righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't matter at all. This call is to us. 
uh, to be the people of God. We're called to be the temple of God, to be filled with the Spirit and therefore overflowing with His Spirit and expressing that by everything we do, everything we say, and everything we think. It is a radical, radical, beautiful call. So to be the temple of God means uh, we are to be characterized by unconditional, unqualified, unqualified, uh, stopless, never violent, beautiful, cross-like, self-sacrificial love towards all people at all times, in all situations, in all circumstances. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes, qualifications, fine print, exception clauses, or take backs. Amen? It is, it's a unilateral love. It's a radical, radical call. And that should characterize all of our thinking. As they say, as they say around here quite a bit, we're allowed one opinion of people, and that's the one that Paul had when he said to the Corinthians, I don't know anything about you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The one opinion we're allowed to have is that this person was worth Jesus dying for. They've got unsurpassable worth because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price for them. And our job, the most fundamental job as, as a disciple is to agree with God about that. Yes, God, I agree, and therefore bless them. Like I said last week, we become blessing machines. Everywhere we go, whoever we see. Uh, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. No, no, no fine print, no exception clauses, no take backs. Our job is just to bless. And, uh, and that's, why, that's why Jesus says this, even when we come upon threatening enemies. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If they strike you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Wow. See, that, that, that law, that saying, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's actually a commandment. Three times in the Old Testament, it's commanded. It's required. You must take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It says something about the authority of Jesus, doesn't it? That he comes along and he says, well, that was then, but I'm giving you a new command. He's putting his authority over the authority of the Old Testament. And now, to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to disobey three commands in, uh, in the Old Testament. So the next time someone says, you know, I obey every command in the Bible, just say to them, oh, that's too bad. Because you've got to break that command if you're going to, listen to obey Jesus' command. He says, I'm telling you, do not resist an evil person. Now, the word resist there in Greek is anthestemi, and it, 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 means, it doesn't mean you do nothing. Like just roll over and play dead. But it does mean you, you, don't, you don't respond in kind. We don't respond with, with force. You're allowed to get in, in, in harm's way and to protect another person. Yeah, whatever you can do to interrupt this, fine. But you're never allowed to retaliate. You're never allowed to engage in violence against the aggressor. Uh, and the reason is, it's like I, I shared last week. I had this guy who was super drunk and he wanted to, you know, bash my face in. He had his hand cocked back, holding me by the collar. He was ready to hit me. And because um, he thinks I tried, I swerved into his wife while she was riding on a bike, which I did not do, do but his, his, I think his whole, the whole street was swerving for this guy, so he didn't know it from down. But he was mad, and he was going to hit me, and I just responded to him by saying, well, okay, look, I, even if you hit me, I'm not allowed to fight back because I'm a follower of Jesus. And so, and which is the right thing to say if someone's going to punch you, because he just was dumbfounded. It's like, well, that's no fun. You know, and, and so, praise God, he, he, uh, he walked away. Well, see, this is what we're called to, this is the attitude we're called to have, and we do it out of love for the aggressor. Out of love for the aggressor. So Jesus goes on to say this, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you, um, uh, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who despitefully use you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, who causes his, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, folks, the call to be a follower of Jesus is this radical. You are to love. I am to love like the rain falls and like the sun shines. 
Rain doesn't choose who it's going to fall on. It just does what rain does. It gets people wet. And the sun doesn't choose who it's going to shine on. The sun just does what the sun does, and that is shine light, give warmth. So also, God the Father, he doesn't pick and choose who he loves. He just, he is love. He is love. He is cross-like love. So he just is himself, and he loves he, he loves all. He just does what he does. And that's the love that is put inside of us when we become temple, the temple of God. That's the love that abides in us. And if we yield to it, that's how we love. It's a love, it, it's a love that's in, in, totally indiscriminate. God's love doesn't increase based on the merit of the person or decrease based on the demerits of the person. No, God's, God's love burns as passionately towards the sinner as it does the most worthy saint. And there aren't any around, by the way. It burns as, as, as intensely towards the righteous as the unrighteous. It burns as intensely to the person who just flushed their whole life down the toilet as it does to the person who's lived a perfect life. It burns as intensely towards an Adolf Hitler as it does a Mother Teresa. It just does what it does. It, it, it's, it's the eternal character of God. And when we become the temple of God and he fills us, this is what flows out of us towards all people at all times. No ifs, ands, or buts. And then notice this. I remember the first time I noticed this. It just blew me away. Because Jesus says, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Ooh. This is the distinguishing mark of a child of God. Jesus highlights this. This is the sine qua non, the, the absolutely essential distinguishing mark that you are, in fact, a child of the Father. You know, like earthly children have the characteristics of their earthly parents. Well, uh, our sp spiritual children are to have the characteristics of their heavenly Father. We're born from above, and that's the DNA that is in us. <laughs> and, and so the, the, this mark that you are a child of the Father is that you can love like other people can't love. Uh, we don't love on the basis of how it you know, falls back on us positively. We just love because the Father, His Spirit is in us. And so we love like the rain falls and like the sun shines. It's radical, radical love, and it's all too rare in this world. So this, folks, is the all or nothing. This is it. This is what grabbed me in that series, and it's been a central passion ever since. It's the all or nothing. It's the beginning, middle, and end of everything that we are to be about, everything the church is called to be about. It is Christianity 101 and Christianity Ph.D., we, 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 we can never outgrow this because this is the bullseye all the time. It's to put on display the Father's character. And, and one more thing. Paul says that if we get this down, everything else we need to get down will be gotten down. We will get down. But if, if we don't get this down, it doesn't matter whatever else we get down. It's altogether worthless. This is the all or nothing. He says this explicitly in 1 Corinthians 13 which is a super radical passage, but it's been watered down because we read it at weddings all the time, so people no longer hear it anymore. So try to, try to hear this like you've never heard it before, right? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, religious noise. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, all of it, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am, everyone say it, nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, everyone say it, I gain nothing. Think about it. You could have spiritual gifts all over the place, speak in languages that you never learned, supernatural, miracle-working, you, yes. And that would undoubtedly get you a big church and maybe get you on cable television. But if it's not motivated by love and if, if, by love for God and love for people, it's altogether worthless. Amen. Think about it. Love is the one value giver on this stuff. Uh, you can have, have all knowledge. Imagine all knowledge and all wisdom. Understand all mysteries. Man, you know how to reconcile 
uh, quantum physics with, 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 with general relativity theory. Good for you. And, and, and you totally get the Higgs boson particle. And you understand the Trinity. You can explain it to a four-year-old, the paracritic ontological relationship of the three divine persons. You can explain it to a three-year-old, no problem. Woo, you would be, that's impressive. You've got the Bible memorized in its original language. You can parse every Hebrew and Greek verb, hallelujah. And that would get you a lot of recognition, no doubt, and you get your own television show. But if it's not motivated by a love for God and love for others, it's absolutely worthless. You can have a faith that can move mountains, man, that would be great. Whoa, that's impressive. That would get you on Charisma Magazine for sure and on 700 Club. Uh, you know, you'd have a lot of notoriety. But if it's not motivated by a love for God and love for others, it's all together. Everyone say it. Worthless. Has no value. And even if you do great good deeds, you're a good deed doer, wonderful. And you even can, you become a martyr. But if it's not motivated by love for God and love for others, it's all together empty, worthless, void, not a zippo. The only thing that gives value to anything, Paul is saying, is love. What is motivated by love. And those other things are all wonderful. He's not, you know, he's not denying that. But they're only valuable in the kingdom if they're motivated by love. A love that looks like Jesus dying on the cross. A love that serves others. So folks, it means, among other things, that the ultimate criteria for a church that's going to be considered a success. What makes a successful church? What makes a great church? Well, the ultimate criteria can't be, wow, they can attract a big crowd. Because all those things that Paul just listed there, that would be, that, 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 that would be crowd-gathering stuff. Um, can't be the size of the crowd or how many campuses you have. It can't be how, how comfortable your pews are and, and how great your programs are and, and uh, you know, how, how big is your offering. And it can't even be your sound doctrine. No, the, the ultimate criteria for success has got to be our people in this community looking more and more like the crucified Christ. Are people being transformed by the radical love of God to be Jesus' lookalikes? Are people learning how to sacrifice, to swim upstream in their self-indulgent culture and to sacrifice for people in need, sacrifice their time and resources and energy for people in need? Are these people learning the beauty of bleeding for others the way Jesus did for us? That's the criteria for success. It's the, the one thing that matters. Uh, it is what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom, you can always tell what is the kingdom and what's not. Forget the word Christian. It's almost worthless now. But just think kingdom. What is the kingdom and what's not? What does it look like when God reigns in a group? And it always looks like Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. It always looks like Jesus giving his life for us while we're yet enemies. To the degree that any individual or group looks like that, that's the kingdom. To the degree that they don't, it's not the kingdom. And it doesn't matter what they call themselves or how they identify themselves. It's just not the kingdom. Don't worry about it. It's something else. But it's not the kingdom. And, and you, when you understand that point, you can't help but be both amazed and grieved when you have people who claim to represent Christianity and they, on the television and other social venues, will spew out some of the most venomous, hateful, sometimes even violent stuff in Jesus' name about their political opponents or about immigrants or about national enemies or what have you. Folks, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom always looks like Jesus, and that doesn't look like Jesus. The kingdom always looks like Calvary, and that doesn't look like Calvary. Do everything, everything in that kind of love. There's no off button on that. We, so we can't say, oh, well, that's because they're you know, running for office, or that's because they're this, or they, whatever. There's no ifs, ands, buts, fine print, taste back, any of that. The, 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 the call is absolute. And so here's the thing. Well, I can, I can distinguish, and I'm, I, as a leader in the church, must distinguish between what is the kingdom and what's not. So we can tell the difference. I have to do that. That's why I call attention to some of these things that aren't the kingdom. But having done that, I can't judge any individual 
for not perfectly manifesting Christ-like love because I don't perfectly manifest Christ-like love. And I think we as a church have to confess that we do not yet perfectly manifest Christ-like love. We've grown into it a lot, and we're going to grow into it more in the future, but we don't yet perfectly manifest it. So either we're saved by grace or we ain't saved at all. Amen? Amen. But that doesn't mean we can just coast. Like, oh, well, then nothing matters. No. The bullseye has always got to be Christ-like love. Striving to look like Calvary, individually and corporately. Looking like a giant Jesus, serving those around us. See, this is why, folks, we emphasize so often around here the need to wake up to all of our judgments in our brain, our gossip column in our brain, and to collapse those judgments, to agree with God that the person we're looking at right now has unsurpassable worth and to bless them. As I said last week, be a blessing machine. It's, 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 it's to characterize our life all day long. And it's why we so emphasize the call of kingdom people to care about the poor and to care about the hungry, to care about the homeless, to care about those who are in prison, to care about those who are on the outside and the margins and the friendless and those who are most judged by religion. It's our job to care for them because that's what the kingdom looks like. That's what Jesus did and that's what we're called to do. It's why we, we are going out of our way to partner with all these different ministries and organizations and invite them into our building. Uh, these the, the organizations that are, are, have expertise on serving these people groups. They have expertise. We've got a people who are willing to sacrifice financially and, 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 and volunteer in, their, in their, their, their ministries, and it's a great arrangement. And so, for the glory of God, we have these partnerships. We've got Minnesota Ready here and, and Catholic Charities and a number of other organizations that, that are, are there to help people get off the street and to get in some housing. And, and we've got a food shelf where we can feed people, and we've got a ministry that delivers food to shut-ins, praise God. We've got a job training center here for, for folks to get gainful employment. We're running the plaza for at-risk youth. Uh, why? Because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. We've got dozens of ministries like this. Because it's not always we're trying to be good deed-doers. Look at us. No, it's just this is what love looks like. When we, and I love it, every fall when we, we, we raise money for, for some of these ministries, you guys step up to the plate. You bleed. You, you sacrifice some of your own stuff to make this happen. And see, that is what brings the kingdom to these ministries and puts God's glory, God's, God's character on, on display. And that is what it's all about. Now we are being the temple of God. And it always looks like Calvary. Always looks like Calvary. Praise God. Uh, we, we, we give God all the glory for, for everything that has happened up to this point. He, he has grown us to where we are right now. Uh, but we will never coast on that. We can never coast. We're entering a new season here. In fact, as we enter this new season, I, wanna, I thank God for everything we are doing now that weren't, we weren't doing 23 years ago. Praise God. And for every person who's accepted Christ and been impacted by the kingdom, it's all to God's glory. But as we head into this new season, I pray, the leadership of the church prays, and I, if you're part of this church, I want you to pray. Uh, pray for a double portion, a double portion. Uh, that, uh, that we see this more and more happening. So we're, as we go into this new season, we're always going to be asking the question, how can we, how can we um, uh, better help people really put flesh and blood to this love and serve their neighbors where they're at? In fact, a we'll, we'll, little advertisement here. We're going to be having a, a conference here on October 9th and 10th. Um, I'll be speaking on the evening of the 9th, Friday the 9th, and then we'll have a bunch of seminars happening throughout on Saturday. And it's, it's, it's called uh, Everyday Peacemakers. What does it look like to be a peacemaker when you're here, not in Syria, all right? How do we, how do we minister, show God's love to the folks that are around us? It's going to be very practical, and I encourage you to really consider coming and being a part of that. So we'll be always trying to do that. And we're going to be always looking at other ministries and organizations that we can partner with. 
Do you know we've got 100,000 square feet over there that's not yet used? 100,000 square feet. And we've, right now there's some exciting possibilities of, of partnerships where they'll come and they'll be housed here and we'll then give volunteers and support to this and it'll be a beautiful thing. Uh, our prayer is that every square inch of that 100,000 square feet is there to display the beautiful, radiant character of God. Amen. That God's love will rain down on people who are thirsty and shine on people who are in darkness and God will be put on display. Uh, some exciting things await us in the future here, folks. Let me end with this. If you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, as I'm talking here, something is resonating in you. Maybe it's been buzzing in you since you first came in. Uh, I encourage you to surrender your life to him. Surrender your life to him. And let his love just pour into your life. And if you make that decision, just I'm going to give up controlling my own life, I'm going to live for him. At the end of the service, I like I encourage you to come up here and there'll be some prayer teams over here by the stairs and uh, share with them that decision and they'll help you get started in the walk. For the rest of us, I want to ask this question. Uh, will you let the Holy Spirit right now just bring to your mind one person that you know you do not love perfectly? Maybe you actually despise them. And get them in your mind. Now, you can't just willpower your way into loving them. And Mark said go. It doesn't work like that. Uh, what you can do is become a temple. And, and just we, we commit to opening your heart to God to, for him to pour his spirit, pour his love into you. Say, God, give me your love for this person. And, uh, and then ask him to show you practical ways that you can begin to express that love towards that person. One thing will be involved is you commit, as I said last week, commit to praying for them. Pray blessing on them. Whenever you see them, pray blessing on them. When you drive by their house, pray blessing on them. When you just think about them, pray blessing on them. If you ever find yourself mad at them, pray blessing on them. All right? Uh, that'll be step number one. But then look at other concrete ways you can begin to love them. Will you commit to carrying those out as God reveals them to you? All right? Father, we just thank you for being a God of unfathomable, beautiful, radiant, Christ-like, cross-like love. Transform us into your image, Lord God, by giving us that love that does not come from a human origin. Pour out your spirit upon us continually day in and day out that we might be your temple. Fill your temple, Lord, and cause it to overflow to all who are around us. For your name's sake we pray. And all God's temple people said... Amen. God bless you.